What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Bed Letter. I'm your host, Christian Ashleman, and this is the podcast where we chat about human psychology and mental health, social change, cultural trends, and art. Um, and when I say art, I'm referring to the digital magazine I recently launched. Um, it's called Sasura Magazine. Um, we're going to kind of, I'll touch on that a little bit more at the, the end of the episode here. But you can find the magazine um, on my website, cashleman.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at cashleman, at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. Um, I hang out on Instagram quite a bit. Uh, don't really use many other social platforms. I enjoy the pictures on there. So, yeah, that's where uh, that's where I'm at usually, um, or my website, like I said. So, but yeah, I kind of wanted to just jump into it for this first episode. Um, I've got one article that I'd like to chat about a little bit here. And uh, it starts off, the article is titled, Fake News Can Lead to False Memories. So right off the bat, you know, it's going to be a good one. You know, we're talking about fake news, of course, you know, that that coveted word, words. And uh, yeah, so it was written and published in the APS, Association for Psychological Science, um, on August 21st, 2019. And it starts off by saying how talking about how voters form false memories based on false news articles that they have read. Um, And especially they form these uh, false memories if they align with their own political beliefs, is what this research has found. So how they completed the research was in 2018, so last year, they uh, did research in Ireland um, about on prior to the abortion referendum that was up for voting over there. And so this, this study wasn't completed in the United States. It was in Ireland, um, and it was on a very, very hot topic over there. And they go on to talk about how the article could have very far-reaching effects and far-reaching um, influence on big things like the 2018 or the 2020 election, you know, coming up next year um, in the United States, as well as... Um, a few other things that it mentions later on. So it, it does kind of out the gate talk about some major, major things that this type of research and this type of information can have on society as a whole. So I want to start off by reading this quote by the author, Jillian Murphy. Um, she is from the University College uh, Cork, which is in Cork, Ireland. And she starts by saying, In highly emotional partisan political contests, such as the 2020 U.S. presidential election, voters may remember entirely fabricated news stories. In particular, they are likely to remember scandals that reflect poorly on the opposing candidate. And I have remember with like little quotations around it because they're remembering information that's completely false and fake, stuff that actually has never happened. So, yeah, in particular, they are likely to remember scandals that reflect poorly on the opposing candidate. So Jillian, the author of the article and the past APS um, president, and remember APS is the Association for Psychological Science where this article is published. Um, Yeah, the APS, the past APS president, Elizabeth Loftus, from the University of California in Irvine, did this study together. Um, They started off by gathering 3,140 voters in Ireland, eligible voters, And they would ask them if and how they planned to vote. And I don't know how that would play, how like if the question of if they plan to vote, I don't know how that plays into the final research, because if they didn't vote, 
Um, I mean, I, I suppose if they're just talking about fake news and the belief of fake news, that I, I guess whether or not they actually voted in the referendum isn't too big of a deal, but in regards to the specific research, at least. So they basically, for the 3,140 voters in Ireland, they provided six news articles, and two of these news articles were fake. Totally made up, um, and these articles were uh, typically illegal, um, inflammatory acts that were com- that were done by the campaigners of this uh, referendum, this abortion referendum in Ireland. Um, they then asked uh, if they if the people had heard about these stories, and after after the people had read all the stories, they had asked the people, the participants of the of the study, if they had heard about the stories and if they had formed or if they knew of specific memories about the stories, or if they had specific memories about the stories. After they quizzed the people on their on their memory, on if they heard about these things, they would then tell the participants that the art- some of the articles were fake. They didn't tell them specifically how many of the articles were fake. They would just say that some of the articles were fake, and then they would have the participants um, try to uh, point out which articles could be fake, potentially. And then after they did that, the... Uh, participants would complete a cognitive test, which when I first read this um, article, I I read that they completed a cognitive test and I couldn't figure out how that played into the entire thing for a second and I wasn't sure um, how that was particularly relevant for this research, but um, I'll touch on that in a little bit here. So anyway, so near, nearly half of the people that were participating in this study reported that they had made memories about these fake articles. And remember, they were presented with six news articles, and only two of those news articles were fake. So four of them were true. But they were specifically talking about the fake articles. Nearly half the people had made memories about the fake articles, which is ins- – that's crazy. Not crazy for the, sp- the people specifically. Like, they're insane. I'm saying it's just insane that our brain is able to convince ourselves of something like, you know, something like this. Just fabricated, completely bunk articles. And even more than that is many of them that had remembered these false or had false memories about these articles would recall rich details about the fake events. So not only were they were they saying, yeah, I remember when this happened, when it actually had never happened, they would recall rich, very rich details about these fake events. And these were details that oftentimes were not actually even included in the article itself. So it's like they had this story, and the story had a lot of plot holes, and so the people, the people's brains would just then fill fill in the plot holes with all these details, and that became the new memory. And what they also found is that people tended to recall fake news that had that pertained to the other side, their opponents, a lot better than they did for them for their own for their own side, their own belief about the referendum, right? So. Um, which is kind of, I guess, sort of a no-brainer. Uh, well, sort of. I mean, you like a lot of times it's you know it's about mudslinging. It's about trying to be right and trying to trying to have as mo- as as much political ammo as you can to uh, throw at the other side so that you can seem like your side is the right side, which isn't necessarily a good way to do it. But just nowadays, it seems like that's that's the way things tend to be. It's just a big spectacle, an argument, or something like that. So, uh, yeah, people tended to recall the fake news about the other side's fake events more than they did their own. And one thing in the article that I didn't necessarily like was when they tried to explain this particular point, um, they they spent a lot of time wording it 
like extreme. It was very wordy at that part. It was very. They didn't really use layman terms. They didn't really use any um, any vernacular that was like easy to understand. So I actually had to read it a lot of times to be able to understand what they were even saying. And what they were saying wasn't even complicated at all. It was. It was just that they remember stuff about the opposing side, but they had worded it very confusing. And sometimes in reading these articles, these scientific um, articles, it can be a little difficult at times like that because they sometimes just refuse to use like layman terms for us people that are not like you know waist deep in the in the scientific community and know what they're talking about all the time and uh, i mean because this is this is pertinent information to i think everybody not just not just the psychological community not just the scientific community it's pertinent information for everybody to know this stuff so using layman terms and using diction that is easy to understand at least partly throughout the piece i think is helpful but hey that's that's why i'm here right to to sort of relay this information i guess so anyway so just when you thought that it couldn't get any worse um what the researchers also found was that after telling the people which articles specifically were fake and which memories were actually just straight up false and untrue many people still failed to reconsider um, their emotions and thoughts and beliefs about those fake news articles. They still failed to reconsider their opinions of those articles and, the, and their truth or untruth about those articles. And uh, that part I found to be very interesting because I think it's easy for our brains to play trick on, tricks on us, but when you get new information that is factually true, guaranteed to be true because these articles these fake ones are guaranteed to be true the researchers you know made sure that these articles were fake and completely fabricated and fictitious it's it's after that point when you have the good when you have the true information that you can't reconcile that that's the part where it gets a little little almost even more scary because it's it's just accepting the falsehoods for being falsehoods and then you know ingesting them and and becoming someone who accepts that as fact and and uh and is not questioning anymore so that that part is a little interesting and definitely a little uh you know makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up a little bit that that can that that can even happen that that can even just just being told point blank that it's fake and you know not reconsidering anything so anyway moving on um you know this kind of information is really interesting to me it really shows how easy it is to plant fake information the article talks a little bit about that, about how planting this type of fake information of fake news, as it does happen in today's society, has an effect on people, and people act on certain things. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't the onion where we all know that that's like bullshit and and not true. It's, you know, this is these are real articles that are actually being pumped out into society and and actually being read and and intaken and believed when they're fake. And so this kind of stuff is very prevalent, especially with the you know advances in technology and the more news outlets and, and resources and stuff like that. It's and other countries being involved in in our politics. It's it becomes more and more difficult to to sift through it all. So uh, anyway, so moving on to the cognitive the cognitive stuff, the, the cognitive test that they had to take. So basically, what they found is that lower cognitive scorers were not more prone to believing the false information. They were not they were not any more prone than high cognitive scores. But what they did find is that people that scored low on the cognitive test 
tended to remember way more information about their own beliefs or fake news about their own beliefs and their own that aligned with their own beliefs whether it be a belief about the other side or their side of the argument or the issue um, they would they would remember stuff about their that pertained to their own beliefs far more than people who would score higher on cognitive tests which suggests that um, the high cognitive scorers were likely more more likely to question their bias. They were far more likely to ask questions and consider a differing point of view. And this isn't to put you know anybody down. It's not like we're on here taking our own cognitive tests and and you know saying this that and the other. But it's it's just it's a very interesting find. And I think that I'm actually really glad that they include that cognitive test. Whereas in the beginning, I was like, oh, what is that doing here? Why do they even need that? I think that it's really important that they include stuff like that because um, it, it just adds more to the research. And it, it allowed them to have this other very interesting find about how more cognitively available and diversified people are or tend to be able to question their own bias a little bit better. Which, you know, at, at surface level, sort of, it you know, makes sense. But... It's just reinforcing and, and has more of this, more details and more information about that type of thing. And I think that's it's very interesting. So the article goes on and it name drops a bunch of researchers at the very end um, and just big researchers from all over the place and how they see this or how they how they want to they see this research as very helpful and it's it's a, a big impact on how we deal with fake news and stuff like that. And they wanted to um, they go on at the very end to talk about how they want to use this type of research to understand the influence that fake news could have on the Brexit referendum and the Me Too movement. Um, they specifically talk about those two movements very, very briefly and how they want to see how fake news influences, influenced both of those things. Um, and then they go on to talk about how that how, how technology, the advances in technology, advances in video editing software and all of these, all of these things are making it so much more difficult to discern between um, truth and 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 lies. And so, um, and and I thought it was interesting that they said even video was in there because um, you wouldn't think, oh, if it's if you're, you would think that if, if something's on video, then that what's on the video is is the truth. And nowadays, with video editing being a more popular field to go into. And being just easier to, it's easier to access software that can edit videos at a very high, you know, a very high rate, a very high, uh, a very believable thing, you know, very believable rate as well. It's pretty crazy to think that you would be able to completely fabricate and pump out videos and stuff that are completely fake, completely false even when there's real, looks like there's real people doing real things in these videos. So that's that's another kind of, uh, you know, hair raiser on the back of your neck there too because uh, seeing videos like that would just be uncanny, I think. So uh, I wanted to end the article with talking about this quote <clears throat> that Elizabeth Loftus, the past president of the APS, says. Um, she goes on at the very end and says, People will act on their fake memories, and it is often hard to convince them that fake news is fake. With the growing ability to make news incredibly convincing, how are we going to help people avoid being misled?
It's a problem that psychological scientists may be uniquely qualified to work on. And I really like that quote. I really uh, appreciated that they put that at the end. Um, and not just because psychological scientists are uniquely qualified to work on something finally in, in mass media and pop culture and stuff. <laughs> but uh, because if you pair the, the first line with the last one, she says, people will act on their fake memories. And then she says that we might be uniquely qualified to work on that. And I think that that's very true. I think that um, this is an exact... This is definitely a, a, an issue that psychologists um, can throw their hat in the ring because people will – they will act on the memories. They will vote or you know, vote certain ways or even more drastic things than voting. Um, they will do that just off of you know, certain circulations of fake news that you see out there. That, and you know, psychologists and therapists and people like that are – extremely equipped to to work with things like that so i think pairing those two those that first line and that last line together sums up the quote very well and it also sheds a very bright light on how we have the tools to deal with this we have the tools and the people and the knowledge to um you know jump in the the boxing ring and and start to fight the beast that is fake news and i think it's going to take you know big influence from social media outlets and some people you know some businesses and have already started to implement certain things that uh, help protect uh, consumers from fake news and fake stuff like that and it's it's hard because you have to toe the line between freedom of speech and spreading legitimate falsehoods and lies and so um, it is it is a issue that I think psychologists are very uniquely qualified to work on um, I really liked that they did the cognitive test. Like I said, I really appreciated that they added that. I think it covers their bases. It adds to the research. It adds to the results. It makes the results more rich and more interesting and more – they can do more with it in the future because they decided to diversify and add that type of um, that type of finding into their research when they didn't have to in the first place. Um, and I, I always think that it's important to add as much to research when you're in the middle of it. It's important to add as much as you can into it, obviously without tainting the results of your, you know, your original hypothesis and your original goal of the research. Um, but you know, adding things that can help to take that research and not just do one thing with it, but do ten things, twenty things, a hundred things with that research. And so, I really like that they added the cognitive test. Um, and I think that uh, I think that it's that it's important to not accept something only because it's labeled under a group that you're in. Um, you know, just because you label yourself as one political party or another, I think it's important not to just accept everything that they that that party or that whatever it is. It doesn't have to be po politics either. Um, I think it's important to not just accept everything at face value. And I think it's very um, I think it's very dangerous to freedom when you do that. When you when you do accept everything at face value for what it is, just because it has it's attached to a label that you like, um, I think it's incredibly dangerous to freedom and free thinking. I think that freedom is questioning. I think that freedom is allowing yourself to wonder if this is true or false, or if it aligns with your own opinions and beliefs. Um, I think that concrete thinking that just signing up and saying yep I believe this because this person said it is I think that's a prison in and of itself because you are attaching yourself to something that and, and not allowing yourself any wiggle room any any 
flexibility, any bendability in your beliefs. I mean, we, we know we all know what we know until we know something else that can change that. And to be concrete in your thinking is just, I mean, it's just like a prison. It's, it's an enemy to freedom. It's an enemy to questioning. And it's always good to question, question, question. I think that concrete thinking is the enemy of growth. Um, I think that's where we do grow is where we, you know, begin to question things and either come out on the other side as believing more in that thing that we did or maybe tweaking a few things and, and, and realizing and understanding that, you know, this is something I want to look into more. So question everything, even if it's not fun to question everything, even if it sucks and it's hard, it's always good to question things. It's always good to better your understanding about things that you believe in. So that's the article I wanted to talk about today. Um, I uh, wanted to kind of move into talking about Sasura Magazine and the bed, this, this podcast, Bed Letter, um, a little bit more real quick before you wrap it up. <clears throat> and uh, I just kind of wanted to give a little bit of background and talk about what's kind of, you know, where this kind of came from and where it's going maybe a little bit. Um, so when I first created Sasura Magazine, the digital magazine I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I, my first, my next immediate thought after I had created, you know, thought, oh, I'm going to do this, this digital magazine, um, this literary magazine, I thought, you know, who, who reads anymore? You know, who takes the time and reads anymore besides like, you know, big old, you know, fantasy books or, you know, like fun reading books. And I know that sounds silly. Who reads anymore? You know, there's newspapers, all that stuff. That sounds silly, but, you know, bear with me for a second here. I think that, I think that today in today's age, we are becoming more and more, and we are, we're fast consumers. We intake a lot of information um, every day. We see a lot of things every day. We're scrolling through our feeds, we're scrolling down Reddit, we're scrolling through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and this and that and the other, and we are intaking so much information in such a small amount of time, such such a small amount of time. And so we've become very fast consumers. And uh, so when I realized that I had this this platform, this you know magazine, I realized, well, first of all, who's going to read it? And I started thinking about my target audience, and I realized that well, some people will take the time to read it. You know, I'm I'm not discounting people out there who who do that kind of thing. I'm just saying, you know, on one hand, it's difficult because I you know, there's a lot of people who who aren't going to take the time to do that kind of thing. And I looked at myself, and I realized I don't even always take the time to do that kind of thing. And if I'm not going to do that, why should anybody else? And so I really wanted to to bridge the gap between what I was doing and what I wanted to do and with the magazine and what is realistic and what people want to consume and what people want to see. And so I instantly had another, or I had this other idea of doing this type of podcast, audiobook type thing where I would read the stuff in the magazine, maybe talk about background behind it, you know, where it was written, you know, why and all that stuff and just kind of the inspiration behind it. And that's kind of that idea sort of sprouted into something a little bit more than just the magazine. Um, and it became kind of this, uh, including my passion for the human experience and psychology and points of view and all that stuff. And it became what I've just done, you know. It's important for me to include things that are currently happening within the psychology field because while psychology and stuff is seen as a very um, it's a it's a very difficult field because there's not a lot of things that can be measured 
appropriately and correctly. And, you know, obviously mental health is not really, um, has been a long time been seen as a joke or a, you know, a, I mean, you guys all know it's, it's still, it's still rising to the forefront right now. It's still, it's becoming more and more, um, prevalent and more and more important. You know, I think that it's important to put these types of things, these types of articles and this type of research at the forefront of us so we know what's going on. And not only does this research help us see how we can, you know, discover more things about stuff like the Me Too movement and, and uh, you know, Brexit and stuff like it talked about in the article, but it can help us learn things about ourselves and about how easy it is for our brains to do certain things or how hard it is for our brains to do certain things. And so that idea of just the magazine and the podcast kind of grew into this um, bigger idea. And so that's kind of my goal with the podcast is to include, you know, a lot of, you know, diverse information, um, touch on a few things and uh, keep it short, simple and digestible because we do so many things at one time, you know, we constantly are driving, listening to audiobooks, listening to podca- podcasts, and while we're eating, we're watching YouTube or Netflix or something. While we're at work, we're listening to podcasts or um, watching YouTube or whatever, while we're doing homework, while we're doing everything. We're multitasking all the time, and we've never been better at it than we are now, and so I kind of wanted to um, shift part of my platform into that that uh, that field there, and so that's kind of the background behind this and where I'm going with it. Um, I've got more episodes on the way and we're going to be talking, I'm going to be talking about more of the stuff that's in the magazine um, as we move forward with more episodes. And yeah, so it's going to be a fun ride. I'm really excited. I really enjoy doing this. I'm really passionate about it. I think that it's just, I don't know, it's something that I love to do and it's a way that I feel that I can express myself. And uh, and yeah, so I think that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode. Um, If you're interested in anything you heard today if you enjoyed it then you know you can always find me on instagram at c ashleman at c-a-s-h-l-i-m-a-n um you can also follow me so you can follow me on there you can head to my website cashleman.com check out some stuff on there updating that frequently um i've got more episodes on the way like i said so if you enjoyed this one be sure to be sure to follow and uh remember remember to always empty the lint catcher in your dryer before you throw your wet clothes in there. It'll save your life. Fires are bad for your house. (laughs) So anyway, hope you guys have an awesome week. See you guys soon. Talk to you later.